Hebrews chapter 3. I'll be reading the first part of chapter 3 and then uh, chapter 4 as well. So if you'll join me or listen along, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the days of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. And now Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world." For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's the reading of the Lord. Our passage in Hebrews 3 begins today by telling us to consider Jesus. Think carefully, meditate on Jesus, dwell on Jesus. We've done that already in song. And we're going to continue that today as we look at the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, there seems to be written to young Jewish believers who most likely are meeting in house churches at this point in time. And many appear to be tempted to drift back to temple worship. Uh, The roots, Old Testament Judaism, uh, the law. And the author is trying to encourage them that Jesus is better than anything they've left 
behind. That's our encouragement today. Jesus is better than anything that we have left behind. For the Jews here, it could have been quite a bit. Temple worship, fellowship, tradition, family, friends, stability, comfort, maybe even a living. And we opened our time in Hebrews by seeing Jesus as the final word, as Bryce brought to us. And God spoke in many ways in the Old Testament, prophets, signs, wonders, kings. But Jesus was a better word. He is the better speaker and communicator of God's character, his nature, and his passion for humanity. Next, we saw Jesus as greater than the angels. The author goes to great lengths to demonstrate that Jesus is greater than the angels, God's created beings. But not only that, that Jesus is also greater than the message brought by the angels, the law. We then saw with Greg two weeks ago that man, as the pinnacle of God's creation, ought to rule as God's uh, rulers under his authority in this place. But the world and we, as God's pinnacle of creation, are not yet what we ought to be. And so we see Jesus, the better man, whose life, sacrifice, sacrifice, death, and resurrection allows humanity, allows us to fulfill our true purpose, as Greg shared, to worship God and destroy the works of the devil. We continue today with our considering Jesus in Hebrews 3 by looking at Jesus, a better Moses. Now, this is written to Jews. And if you're a Jew and you hear a better Moses, there's a little bit of a pause, maybe a gasp. (gasps) Horror. Jesus better than Moses? Jesus is better than the greatest hero of our faith? First, no temple for us. Now, no Moses? Now, Moses? Yes is the response. Jesus is better than houses, and Jesus is better than heroes. And I want to share briefly this morning three ways that Jesus is better than Moses. And I'll do this briefly before we turn it over to Doug, who will come and finish this conversation as we begin to move towards Jesus as a better rest. So first, we want to look at Jesus as a better Moses. We're going to see that he's a a better covenant. He brings a better covenant He brings a better access, and he builds a better house. Number one, Jesus brings a better covenant. Read Exodus 40 sometime. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Moses, after being given the instructions from Exodus 25 on, and how to build the tabernacle, and every detail of its tent and of its articles, and the ark, and the coverings, and the overlays, and everything about it, Moses finishes all the details of the construction and consecration of the tabernacle. And this was a daunting task. Now, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but I can imagine Moses, after this unbelievable task, walking out, being done, and saying, Ah, it's finished. It's done. The tabernacle that God called me to build, it is done. By God's design, he had created the holy place where sins were forgiven by blood and where God's presence dwelt. Jesus after fulfilling every detail of prophecy and foreshadowing of the one who would deliver Israel, 
hung from the cross and said, it is finished. Jesus was himself the holy tabernacle where sins were forgiven by blood. Once for all time, Jesus brought a better covenant. Well, how else is Jesus a better Moses? He brings a better access. Number two, he brings a better access to God. Moses, the man, enjoyed access to God like no other human save Adam and Eve before their sin. He met with God. He saw his glory. He talked with God. He enjoyed an intimacy that we marvel at. But not only did Moses share an incredible access and intimacy with God, he instituted by God's plan access to God for God's people through mediation of a high priest. As the sacrifices would come in for breaking the law, the high priest was a mediator of access to God where the high priest once a year would meet face to face with God to offer atonement for sin, providing access for God's people. In verse 1 of our passage, we see Jesus being called God's apostle, sent one and high priest. Jesus here is seen as the mediator of a better access. Because of the better covenant instituted by Jesus, all believers now have access to God directly by Jesus' blood. God indwells us believers through the Holy Spirit and Jesus' blood literally opens the gate of the throne room of God at the sacrifice of Jesus' life, the curtain of the old access instituted by Moses to the Holy of Holies was rent in two, was torn. And we now can enter freely into God's presence. Through Jesus, we have a better access to God. Thirdly, we see in our passage today that a better faithfulness not a lack of faithfulness on Moses' part, but a better faithfulness by a better servant builds a better house. Moses is represented in Hebrews 3 as a faithful servant in God's house. We read over and again. Moses is a faithful servant in God's house. Numbers 12 actually develops this a little bit further. If you were to go all the way back to Numbers 12, we read a really interesting passage where Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister here, condemn Moses first because here we have our first taste of discrimination and racism of sorts in the Bible, as they criticize Moses because he's married a Cushite woman, seemingly of African descent, a black woman. And there's a dispute that arises between them. And God now here in this passage in verse 3 says, Now Moses was very humble more humble than any other person on earth. And God calls the three of them out in front of the tabernacle, God's house of meeting. And God here takes sides between the two. And God says specifically, now listen to what I say in verse 6. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, speaking directly to Miriam and Aaron. But not 
with my servant Moses. I don't speak to him just in dreams and visions. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Key passage for us today here is, Of all my house, he is the one I trust. God brings the three of them in front of his house and then says, of all my house, he is the one I trust. So as we see that Moses was a servant of God in the house, we're not specifically just saying that Moses was a servant of mine and he was faithful in the tabernacle. He was one of my faithful servants in the house of Israel that I built. He was a member of God's house, one of God's people, and he was a faithful servant, a called out servant. In our passage in Hebrews now, Jesus is spoken of rightfully in Hebrews 3, not as a servant in God's house like Moses, even a faithful one, but he's seen here as a son over God's house. And verse 6 says specifically, God's entire house. Jesus is not a servant, but a son. And he is not in God's house, but over God's house. Both are better, no? But the better doesn't end there. Because the house that Jesus is over as the son is the entire house of God. Not just Israel, God's chosen people, but you and me, God's chosen people. You and me. Ephesians 2, Paul puts it this way in verses 21 and 22. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. A better house. Us. Who? Those who remain confident in our hope in Christ. See, Hebrews never denigrates or puts down or criticizes the old as we consider Jesus. But it does highlight and elevate the better. In each area, the past is surpassed and superseded by the better. We have a better covenant where intimacy with God through the law is replaced by intimacy with God through Jesus. And we have a better access where one man's once a year access is replaced by every believer's moment by moment access to God. And we have a better servant, a son, over God's house, who creates a better house, you and me, brought about by the humble son, the most humble, Philippians 2 tells us, act of the son in giving himself for us. As we continue this morning, I'm going to invite Doug to come up. And we're going to continue. So this is, that was last week's message in 10 minutes. As we, 
as we continue, I pray that we continue to dwell, to consider, dwell on the indwelling Christ, who's better doesn't stop with just access and a house. It continues with a better rest. So remember that the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who understood very well what he, what he was talking about. They, they had this ability to compare what they knew from history and now to consider Christ in all his glory. And, and this, is, this is the way we learn, right? It's, like, it's called apperception. You begin with what you know and then you build on to those areas that you don't understand. And so we can grasp these truths. Christ was the better high priest because he rent the curtain in half and he led us into the very presence of God. He was more than just a servant. Yes, he came to seek and to save those who were lost as a servant of God. But he came as the son of God and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for our salvation. And now we are the house of God, which he is creating. We are his temple. We are the church. We are his family. We are the extension and the visible representation of Christ on earth. These are marvelous truths that Brian has unpacked for us. Now I'd like us to consider for a moment before we come to the table that Christ is our rest. And in Hebrews chapter 4, Dan read to us that there's three things that he wants us to understand about Christ being our better rest. The first is be careful that you don't make the same mistake that the Israelites made way back when Moses led them out of bondage and to the brink of the promised land, to which most did not enter, all but two did enter the promised land. Make sure that you don't make the same mistake they did. And what was that mistake? We'll talk about that. And then he says, be very careful in verse 11. He says, be very careful to enter into that rest. And he's, in fact, he says, be diligent to enter into the rest that God has provided for you. Which is, sounds sort of paradoxical. You know, work hard to rest. And then finally, he says, listen, be careful to access this presence of God that Christ has made available to us. That you are now children and you have access into the presence of the Holy One which the writer of Hebrews describes as a consuming fire. You have access to come as children and to just cuddle up to this consuming fire and call him Daddy. And he wraps his arms around you because he has made you holy through his Son. Oh, these are marvelous truths that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to Hebrew mindset. And they're great pictures for us to understand and unpack for ourselves. 
this plan of salvation which God had began before the foundation of the world. And all these pictures through history of delivering Israel from bondage was, was all intentional. God wasn't just making things up as he went. This was all part of the plan. But he says here that the first thing that the Israelites failed to do was after God had marvelously delivered them from bondage through these series of plagues, the final of which was this angel of death that passed over Egypt and anyone who did not apply the blood to the doorpost and lintel of their home would suffer the consequences of the angel of death taking the firstborn. After Israel had seen all that God had done, taken them to the very brink of the Red Sea and pinned them in from behind with the army of Egypt, only to show them that God would deliver them on dry ground. And that deliverance would then become judgment upon the Egyptian army. This is our God of grace. Showed them all these things. Took them into the wilderness. It was only 11 days from where they had started to Kadesh Barnea, right up into the brink of the promised land. 11 days to get there. And during that time, he showed them. They fought the Amorites, giants of people. Took them through drought and brought water through a rock, took care of them in marvelous ways, showing them that he could be trusted, that he was dependable, that their needs would be taken care of supernaturally. My friends, it's the same thing with you and me. Our God is the same. Is he not? Amen. That's grace, and we must live by his grace. And yet when they got to the very brink, they sent ten into the or twelve into the land, and they saw, yes, it's true. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is amazing. It's all there for us, laid out before us. But there's a big problem taking this land. God may have given it to us, but did God really realize what we're up against? These are big people. The descendants of the uh, of the Nephilim. These are huge. We, we can't do this. And so the majority ruled. Ten said no. Two said go. But ten said no. And the people said we can't do it. Logic would tell us. Reason would suggest. We cannot move forward. There are giants in the land. There's got to be a plan B here. Well, the plan B was they lost out. God made them wander around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died out. And only two, those two spies who had said, go, our God will give us that mountain. Only two entered the land. Joshua took over for Moses and Caleb. He continued with that faith to say, Though they are giants, we will take and secure the land which God has given us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to you and me today, 
learn from their example. Those examples are not given to you for nothing. Those are not just cute stories. This is a lesson about our God. He is able. They made the mistake of not combining the promise of God with faith. Oh, they heard what God told them. They heard what Moses told them God had told them, that they could have the land. But they said, no, we can't. They didn't combine faith with the promise. Folks, we have been given the promise. And that promise is the gospel. That we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. This life is just a point in time. It's, it's like steam from a kettle. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's tentative. It's fragile. But Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life. That begins the moment you receive him. That is our promised land. And he tells us, listen. If this God who has done all of creation. He created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. He says, if this God has done all this, did he not also secure your salvation? What did you do in those six days to help create the world? You did absolutely nothing. You could not have done one thing. You could not have created a flower. I think of Jesus oftentimes walking through the earth that he had created and seeing the flowers and saying, I made that. I understand what that's about. I created that. No wonder the wind and the waves obeyed him. No wonder sickness fled from him. No wonder he spoke and things happened and people said, who is this man? He was the creator. He was the agent through which all that we have was given to us. That's a picture of our salvation. You did nothing to earn your salvation. In fact, you did everything to disqualify yourself from salvation. You're a sinner by nature and by choice. You rebel against God. You deserve death and our sin has separated us from God. But Jesus did all the work. Did he not? It's not by works of righteousness that we have been saved, but by his mercy, by his grace. And so what is left for you and me? We enter the rest that he's given us by placing our faith in what Jesus has done for us. That is so against human nature because I want to do something. I want to earn something. I want to say I did it so that I can be proud of myself. So I can show God that I'm a good person. There's nothing you can do. It's grace. It was given to you by Christ as a free gift, but it cost him so much more than you'll ever realize. That's the nature of our gospel that we believe. And so what he says to us secondly is enter that rest. Be careful. Be diligent that you enter the rest because they didn't. They said we can't. You say you can. By faith I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins. By faith I receive him into my heart and my life as my Savior. 
Be diligent to enter into that rest. Stop trying and start believing. Trust him. Take him at his word. Had they done that, they would have went into the land and they would have seen God cause the enemy to flee. As Caleb does later when he enters the land. He's 80 years old. And the Amalek are still on the mountains. And he, the, the, these giants. And he, he says, Joshua, I want that mountain. Joshua, yours. He drove the, the giants off the mountain. Faith. That's what God has called us to, is to live by faith and to trust him for the salvation that he has given to us. So how do we do this in the course of life? I look at myself and I think, I lack that strong faith. I wish I was a Caleb, a Joshua. I wish I was one of those two. But I fear that perhaps I wouldn't have been. Maybe I would have been the voice of reason to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's think about this. Before we take that, that next step, let's be careful. He says, how do you live this life? You have, been access, you have been granted access into the very presence of God. And that's the final point. He says, we have a high priest who understands us in all of our weaknesses. And he bids us into his presence to find help and grace in time of need. So he ends this chapter four by entreating us urging us into the presence of God as children who have put their faith and trust and find help in time of need through Christ, who is not our judge, but our deliverer. Have you found that rest? It's found in the person of Christ. It's not in a land. It's in Jesus. He's our rest. He's our Sabbath. We cease from our labor because of what Jesus has done for us. We find peace with God because of Christ. I want you to enter into that peace. I want it to rule your minds and your hearts. I want you to go through the week from Monday through Sunday to know that you have peace with God. And therefore, you can walk through life, through the journey of life in the wilderness with all these things going on in your life. And you can have that center of your eyes focused on Christ, who has promised to deliver you into his eternal kingdom. That's not just an abstract concept or an academic truth. That's not just good theology. That's where you live. That's what's to sustain you and give you strength and rest in the midst of the storm. As we come to the table, we are acutely aware of what Christ has done for us. That though we enjoy this salvation as a free gift, it cost him everything. And it will take a whole eternity for us to unravel the depth of the price that Christ paid for us. While we are receiving this without effort, he walked the path to the cross. He endured the hardship of opposition and rejection, the cruel treatment, the rejection of those that he came to save. We benefit from his work. 
Think of what Christ has done for you and the salvation that he has purchased for you. And in the moments as we get ready to pass this tray to you, reflect in your own heart and tell God how grateful you are for what he has given us. The better rest, the better high priest found in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he understands everything you go through this week, every detail of your life, the stress, the anxieties, the problems that pile up on you, he understands them. He's been through it. Remember that. And then he says, therefore, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is, a, this is right where the rubber meets the road. You can't do life on your own. You can't muster this faith that you need to maintain this walk. It comes from him. His grace can be counted on. So this last week, my daughter called me from Boston. She lives there. And I'm very proud of her. She's you know, made a good life for herself, lives in South Boston, a place I'd never want to live, but that's what she wants to do. And she um, parks her car on the road in the snow plows, plow the snow over her car, and then she goes and chips her way out. And um, she's paying for her car. She's paying for her rent. She's paying for all the things of life, and she's making it. She's, she's scraping by. But she calls every once in a while when she needs something. And 6 o'clock last week during the storm, she called in the morning, and she said, I'm on my way to work. I've got a flat tire. You know, I'm thinking 6 a.m. in the dark, out on the road with flat tire. My daughter, it's negative three degrees. And she's probably not dressed appropriately you know, because she's going to work. And who thinks about putting extra clothes and boots, all the things that mom tells you to do, but you never think about, right? So I say to her, Laura, really, you're calling me. What do you need now? What? another problem for daddy to solve. When are you going to grow up, girl? You know, of course I didn't say that, right? I'm thrilled when she calls me. I'm her father, and there's nothing that's going to stop me from helping her. In fact, I would have gotten in my car and drove there two hours or three hours if she would have asked me to. We walked through the problem, and I helped her to figure out how to get back on the road. The point is, if me, as Jesus said, being evil, know how to give good things to my children and would gladly lay down my life for my daughter, just think of your Father in heaven who made you, who loves you, Who wants to give you good gifts? Jesus himself said, you don't have because you haven't asked. Ask and you will receive. That your joy might be full. That's what 
life is about and all these trials that we go through are intended for us to see the goodness, the grace, the power of God unleashed in our lives. So ask, this week, when life gets hard, ask and believe you will receive. And then write it down and then boast about your dad. Tell others what God has done because it glorifies him and it gets other people on board to say, I can live like that too. That's what it's all about.